Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. goodness we're live hi brian we are live hey rj how are you i'm doing well uh, welcome everybody this is the helping friendly podcast my name's rj i'm here with brian brinkman brian you are the you are the head of this of this department um at osiris media and you're doing a great job keeping us going so thank you for thank you for being awesome at at, at leading us well, thank you. It's uh, you know, it's it's a tough job. I have to think about what to talk about fish, and then I have to listen to fish, and then I have to talk about fish. And um, you know, I've told friends about what I do, and they're like, "That is what you should do." So I feel good about what I am doing, and I and I thank you for letting me do what I do. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Um, so Megan is not joining us today. She's she's resting. Um, and it's it's pretty wild out there in in fish world. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of uh, text messages with pictures of positive tests on them. It's uh, it's pretty much everyone that I know who went to to MSG. You know, um, it's yeah, it spread. Well, um, so people who are watching might notice that I'm in a different place than I usually am. I'm at the beach um and i'm i'm quarantining for my family because i'm one of those people although i didn't send you a picture i didn't send the picture maybe i should have. You haven't sent the picture no it's okay you, you just told me yeah it was it was the update it was uh-oh it's me too yeah if you have a uh if you have a collection i can send you the picture um but <laughs> it seems like for the most part people are you know resting and probably getting getting deserved downtime you know 
Yeah, you know, it was interesting talking to people over the weekend who were at the shows and you know, there's always in the weeks leading up to a fish run, there's always so much excitement and so much enthusiasm and so many plans. And I'm going to do this. And if you're going to it, to it as like a destination type show, I'm going to this restaurant. I'm going to see these people. And then like three nights in, you're like, I, I can't do anything today. I don't care that I have lunch reservations. I don't care that like I'm supposed to meet up with this person that we've been tweeting together about, you know, for months on end. I, I just... I can't because I have to somehow have energy to go to a fish show. And so now everyone has this, I don't want to say great, but they have an excuse to tell their jobs. Hey, I can't come to work. Hey, I can't do that thing this weekend. I'm just going to lay low. And um, it's, it actually is. It's, it's, it, it works out for people in this case. I mean, I, yeah, it's interesting. Cause I, I'm not used to, downtime really with kids and and not saying that like i'm like an exceptionally hard worker but like kids in life you know you just get used to going all the time and today i i I took a long walk with the dog and worked most of the day but i also like read my book for a while and took a little nap and i was like wow it takes like an illness to force people to slow down which is which is a whole different podcast topic but maybe we should do that more often you know yeah, you know, I think about it sometimes. I, I had COVID in January during the Omicron uh, outbreak. I, I took a trip that had been planned for months, and we were kind of like, we're just going to do this. If we don't do it now, we're not going to do it in four or five months. Like, this is going to keep happening. And, of course, I got it. And it happened the weekend that I was sick. I was I was in this room. And I don't really watch a lot of football. I'm a huge baseball and basketball fan. I don't really watch a lot of football, but it was that divisional round when like every game came down to a field goal. And I was like, I honestly can't remember since I was in college. The last time I sat down and literally watched four football games in a weekend, just like back to back to back. And I was like, it took an illness for me to reappreciate this game. One thing I need to do, I need to watch basketball while I'm here because my kids aren't here. My wife isn't here. I'm going to like make dinner anyway. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I also, I just want to say one of my friends alerted me to a, a a post on a message board about the Helping Friendly podcast, and the person said that we were too positive. So I just want to I just want to say that you know we made this podcast to talk about our favorite band, and I just I just wish we didn't like them so much. You know, it would be a much better show if we if we disliked the band. Yeah, you know, it's um. The angle of I will spend thousands of dollars annually to go and see fish and, and and thousands of hours as well to listen to this band and analyze this band all for something I don't enjoy is a, it's an interesting angle to me. Um, you know, the to that point, I feel like there's a lot to be positive about. And I, and I think this is in some cases a good loop around to the episode we're going to talk about the show we're going to talk about today, because we're going to dip way, way back in time to 1987. Um, you know, it's interesting to listen to old fish and to hear the ambition of where the band wanted to go. But like Trey is playing the majority of the set with like a flanger effect. That is like your guitar center effect. And it's like not amazing, but like the ideas that he has and what he's presenting is amazing and is really like revolutionary. And that is, you know, a huge part of the appeal of this band to me is their constant ambition and evolution. And I've said it on here. I've said it in other forms. Like I love the fact that there's always a risk that they could fall in their face and that that happens. And that to me is not necessarily something to, maybe critique, maybe an analyze and evaluate, but it's also not really something to like hate on because without that you lose a massive aspect of what makes this band so special. Yeah, that was a good, um, that was a good, good segue. So we are today, we're going to talk about an old show four twenty nine eighty seven from Nectars in Burlington, Vermont. And it's going to be great because I remember getting these tapes. I'm old enough um, to, to, have remembered getting tapes. And th- I think this is my, maybe my first tapes of the eighties um, actually, because it was a, it was a highly circulated tape, you know, three sets and really good playing a lot of debuts, which we're going to talk about. So I think it's going to be uh it's going to be fun. But before we do that, we have to tell you that we are putting out 
premium content um, on Apple. So you can subscribe to HF Pod Premium and get a bunch of ad-free podcasts. If you just go to Apple, um, any of our podcasts, and you'll see you'll see the button for premium. Um, it's it's inexpensive and it's fun, and we're having a good time doing the bonus episodes as well. So if you want to support Osiris, support independent podcasting, and get some more content, check us out. Um, Brian, do you want to tell us about Sunset Lake CBD? I would love to. Um, Sunset Lake CBD has a line of smokable hemp products that are for the old deadhead or the young fish fan that is searching for the mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. With nine different strains from this year's harvest, there is something for everyone. You've got Hawaiian haze that's excellent for an outdoor show. Cherry abacus is best for the end of the night. And all of the flower is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping directly from their farm to your door. And I have to say, I have a very dear friend in town this week for a work conference who's staying with uh, me and my family. He's from Idaho. He and I, we happened to experiment with cannabis a little bit in high school and college. I'll just put it out there. That was a you know bedrock of our friendship. But he lives in Idaho. He can't. He has no access to to cannabis, and it's it's kind of challenging for him. He he wants to utilize it. He's also at an age though where like smoking THC sometimes can be a little bit too much. He wants to take the edge off. I introduced him to some Sunset Lake last night. We had a little bit of the grass. We had a little bit of the gummies. We had some tinctures and tea later in the evening. End of the story. He ordered a bunch last night using the coupon code HFPOD, which is uh, how you can get twenty percent off here at Sunset Lake. He walked. He woke up this morning. And was like that was the best sleep I've had in months, and I feel so good. And I didn't. And like we just had a great conversation last night. He was super. Both of us were like super relaxed as a result of it, but no one's losing their head. It was great. It was awesome. And I was so happy to introduce him to it. So check them out today. You can have the exact same experience as one of my closest friends, sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all their products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned and Vermont grown. Man, Brian, you are a true evangelist. Spreading the word, spreading the word like a like a like an old time salesman you know just, just going person to person i've got like a bag i open it up yeah. and pull out the tincture <laughs> that's really cool though and thank, thanks sunset lake all right so so brian let's get into this because yeah. I, I really like this choice and you know it's it's timely um as the the anniversary is in two days and i, I like i said this is one of the first tapes that i ever got and and it falls kind of in the middle of this nectar's kind of uh i don't know if residency is the right word but kind of nectar's um performances between 84 and 89 they played there 46 times and this is kind of right Mm -hmm. in the middle and it feels like they've clearly developed much more of a repertoire you know than than those early nectar shows and probably a pretty solid following you know three set show on a wednesday night at nectar's um it's it's cool. This is a soundboard recording, and I think that's part of the reason why. I mean, a lot of those early shows were, but I assume that's why it kind of uh, circulated heavily. But I feel like when I got these tapes and heard them, it was sort of like uh, like the holy grail from like the earlier earlier era. You know, it's like you got to listen to this to hear hear the the early early days. Um, we talked about this a lot on Undermine Season One, but um, this era is. I don't ever go back to. 80s shows unless we're doing an episode on them Mm -hmm. it's just not something that i put on but every time i go back to one of these shows i'm like shit i should really be listening to these because there's there's a lot there and there's not the 20 minute jams and and vast improv but there's a lot to these shows um are you familiar with this show generally yeah i mean i had a similar experience I, i i did not get this as a tape i got this as a cd i think you know i was collecting probably five, six years after you were. Um, so I was getting a mix of tapes and CDs and it was one of those, I, I didn't have a show from the eighties in my collection. And I was looking through like the fish companion at the time, just trying to figure out what my next set of tapes, you know, I was, I was using bnp.com, I think is what it was called, where you could pair up with people, send them your blanks. They would send you back tapes, vice versa. And um, this was just on my list. Cause it was like, 
all these song names that either I didn't recognize or I wasn't seeing on any other tape, like stuff like Lushington, stuff like Fuck Your Face, uh, stuff like Skin It Back, Melt the Guns. We'll, we'll get into all of this, but like all these songs that I was starting to read about, but I wasn't seeing anywhere else. And they almost were just like disappeared from the, uh, the fish cannon after the 1980s. Plus it was Nectar's. I didn't have a show at Nectar's. So I got this early... Um, and kind of like what you're saying, it just kind of laid a foundation of, okay, this is what fish was at. This is what fish was like in front of a barroom audience. And you can kind of hear people chatting throughout, which is, um, you know, it's obviously people still talk at times, uh, begrudgingly at fish shows today in front of 20,000 people, but like, you know, you're at a bar on a Wednesday night and you're going to see fish. You can get a sense that a lot of these people are their friends while there's also new people that they're trying to win over. Um, this show almost feels like a preview of who the band would be come 1990 and 1991, where it's a full smattering of who fish is. There's really no type two jamming. There's just an offering of, we can do things like segue a little feet song into a talking head song. And it sounds really cool. We can play a joke punk song we can play songs that sound like pat pat metheny we can play this weird song like fuck your face like there's all this stuff that's just thrown at you through this show to give you a sense when you walk away from it of okay this is who this band is overall yeah that's a good that's a good point and at, at that time it was just there's so many covers you know which is to be expected um and that's one of the things that i miss i guess about not listening to too many of these 80s shows there's there's so many great covers i mean i think just you know the, so many throwback songs and and covers are just great um so the 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 opener here is is she caught the katie which is a taj mahal song great i mean awesome song I mean, it would be so great to hear them play that again i think they played it once in 2010 and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And once in 98 and then otherwise like a couple, a few times in the eighties, but I think it's a great cover. I, I think this, they should bring this back, but this is a, a good opener too. It's a great opener. This is the second performance all time. And it, there's only been six performances all time that they've, uh, that they've played of it. You're absolutely right. 80 or 98 and 2010. It's a really good mic vocal performance. Like it works like how the little feet songs will work later in the show where Mike's voice just like fits Taj Mahal perfectly here. Um, and yeah, I really like it as an opener. It's energetic. It leads into alumni blues letter, Jimmy page alumni blues, which, you know, gives you this kind of contrasting views of like fish as both a cover band and also a band that can play in this kind of groove and funky style quasi blues but then a band that basically takes an american song structure like blues and just kind of like spins it on his head in this very punkish way in alumni blues jimmy page alumni blues yeah the first thing that like sticks out of listening to the show is just trey's guitar playing which is i guess yeah. maybe what always sticks out but just the tone is kind of funny like it's not the ideal sort of sound um, but he's just so on top of every note and and we we know that like these early days he was like just focused on the mechanics and he had really kind of mastered mastered it by 1987 i think people think like of the early 90s as when he was like most he kind of probably got faster and maybe more proficient over time but he's he's already kind of there in 87 yeah i mean you can hear the sound of tray forming um one thing that we did really well in season one of undermine uh there there were two i guess there were three episodes across the season where you matt uh brad and jonathan got together and went through basically like segments of really important shows where there were debuts and whatnot and if you listen to 10 15 86 which is about six months ahead of this it kind of serves similarly as how this show does it's a three-set show has a ton of debuts the biggest noticeable difference is Trey's guitar playing has taken such a huge leap forward. And this is around the time that he's building 
or he's having Paul Languedoc build his guitars. I believe that those debut in the late summer of 1987. He's still playing, I believe, the Ibanez at this point in time. But you can start to hear like the Trey sound really come through. And you're right, he's thinking a lot about fundamentals, but you also just start to hear him kind of break off and his own voice coming in. There's a couple places through this show. Um, I think specifically the skin it back when that goes into a little subdued jam that like sounds like a preview of the way that fish would jam come like 1997 and 98. It gets really dark and kind of groovy. You start to hear him find his own voice and he may not fully know how to rein it in at this point in time. Um, but you're starting to hear him kind of figure out who, who am I and what do I want to say in these phrasings? Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned the, um, the, I want to talk about the skin it back kind of cities, but I'm such a huge fan of the, of the jazz fish and mm-hmm. hearing them mm-hmm. play swing low and, and take the a train. I just, I really think they were, they were really good at it too. You know, I mean, they had the fishman kind of jazz ensemble that played around that time, but I thought, I think they pulled off those, those jazz songs like really well. I do too. And I, it's interesting to me that, you know, later in their career, bluegrass would kind of serve the same role that mm. jazz did in that yeah. it would help them with songwriting, help them with their playing, help to kind of expand their larger cover repertoire. But whereas like you go to a show and you get an Uncle Penn or you get a Rocky Top, or you get a Nellie Kane, you don't get Take the A Train, you don't get Swing Low, you don't get these jazz songs that really kind of seem to be a part of where the band was at from a you know, larger musical influence standpoint, like you get this influence of kind of abstract jazz experimentation and at least in spirit that will hang out with fish and linger with them throughout the majority of their career going forward. But you don't get these songs that, that kind of join. It'd be really nice to hear something like take the a train brought back. It hasn't been played in probably 30 years at this point in time. Yeah. You know, 25, 30 years. Yeah. It would be, I wonder if they would have to practice it a lot. Or do you think that's like one of those songs that, that you just, once you learn it, you know it? Because it's sort of like one of those things you can just go back to. I kind of feel like with Swing Low, like the way that they play it, it sounds like something that, it's such a standard. It sounds like something that they could, you know, figure out backstage and just play as kind of a, a gag bust out. But I don't know, Take the A Train, yeah, I, th- I think that they could they could probably learn that again. It's It's a standard, you know, it's got to be yeah. something that never really leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first set doesn't have a ton of, you know, jamming really until this, the skin it back into cities, the, the segue is just, it's just so smooth and, and perfect. And I assume they, they practiced that and planned it. Cause it was just like too, it was too smooth to have, to have, have happened, um, organically, or at least that's the way it sounded to me, but really awesome. And both, both versions, you know, just, that's where the show kind of starts to pick up. I think um, we should say in the fire, the Hendrix cover right before skin it back, you hear Trey like really unleashing the, the, the fury of the, of the guitar. So I feel like the, the kind of early part of the show is sort of warming up and this fire skin it back cities. Lushington is where things really start, start moving. Yeah. We talked a couple weeks ago. Um, I believe it was about the Boulder, Colorado show for four ninety of the power of like seeing a band like fish in these small rooms and then Trey just faithfully playing um, good times, bad times uh, uh, in, in 1990 and delivering like a Zeppelin style performance to a hundred people and how thrilling that must've been to be a fan who just kind of goes out on a Tuesday night to see a show. And I think fire has that same effect where like, even if you knew fish, you know, you're going out there, you're going to give them some time to play their originals, but then they throw down a Hendrix song and Trey just absolutely nails it. Like that has, to, you have to walk away being like, even if you don't know that this band is going to become what they're going to become, there's at least got to be a part of you. That's like, okay, there's something special with that playing there. Um, but skin it back in cities. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. Um, you said it sounded like almost like planned out. Like I was looking at this, this had happened in three of the four previous performances that skin it back would go directly into cities at that point in time, um, which was 
cool to me that like at that time you're seeing them start to experiment with what works, like what can we rely on? What can we fall into um, at this point? I was also, I was looking back at the stats. It's wild to me. Like, so this is the like fifth performance of skin it back. And it would basically be performed through the next summer. And then it just drops off and it does not return until 2012. And we've seen four performances in 3.0, but they all had pretty significant gaps. The last one was, um, I believe your 100th show, 10, 21, 2018 at Hampton. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which was 113 shows ago, which which feels I can't believe that, that was wow. 113 shows ago. That was so fun. That was a good show, and you guys skin it back. Hundredth show, that's amazing. That um man, we should we should talk about that show at some point. I can't believe they played that simple in the first set, and that was a couple songs after after the skin it back. Um, wow, unbelievable. I okay. think that's how a lot of people felt on Saturday night at MSG. How are they playing this simple in the first set? It's true. Totally oh, hey, I'm sorry. That's that's too positive. I'm sorry. Totally different. Simple. You know. Totally different. The yeah, MSG yeah. one was was scary. Um, okay. Sorry. Back to the show. <laughs> um, the Brian, you you mentioned the Lushington earlier um, yeah. closer, and I didn't. I guess I forgot that like the chase was part of of Lushington, um, but. Just another reminder that these throwback songs, like She Caught the Katie, Lushington, Skin It Back, and then later Dog Log, Melt the Guns. There's so many. Like a proper Dave's Energy Guide. It's, so, it's like one of the most fun aspects of going back to a show like this. Um, but what's your, what's your thought on the, on the Lushington? I think you're a, you're a Lushington fan. It, it was ranked the best fish song. So, so I think you're not alone. Right? I think it's a great song in the sense that like, you know, I was thinking about this when I was listening to it, Trey talks in the fish book about, and this was 10 years afterwards, but he talks in the fish book about this desire to write in, in the mid nineties to write set closers and to write like songs that could really impact an audience. Lushington would be a great set closer. And you know, the, the look on a crowd's face when they go into the chase, but then go into Lushington, you know, you, you'll know the chase, you'll know that music and be like, that's a part of Fluffhead. What's going on here? Um, it would be a huge, huge bust out. We haven't heard it in, uh, 18, 1,829 shows. So it's, it's been a while, um, following this version. This is only the third version ever. Um, it would be played throughout the summer of 1987 and then has not been seen since, September 2nd, 1987, it was played uh, at Hunt's. I just think that the song does a really great job of combining, and it kind of showcases where you hear a lot of fish at this point in time. It just combines a lot of parts and a lot of ideas in a way that may not fully work, but almost works in the sense that like McGrupp does. Like McGrupp to me just constantly feels like five songs kind of smashed together. And it makes sense to me that they don't play McGrupp on a regular basis. Cause I got to imagine it's just like a challenging song to get through night to night. Yeah. Um, Lushington kind of works in that way, but it has just this like very natural peak that you can imagine in front of a crowd of 20,000 people, you know, everyone's singing that chorus back at the band. It would be a really collective joyful moment. So I'm, I'm honestly slightly surprised that they haven't brought this back. What, what do you think about that? Well, I think um, so in the in the um, eight twenty nine two thousand fourteen show where they yeah. spelled spelled Lushington, um, which I was at that show, and and again another amazing simple at that show. That's the that's the common it's the common it's thread, thread between all the things we're talking about. But um, I, I guess it's never coming back. I mean, they, the fact that they didn't play it when they spelled out the song name in the first set is really kind of fucked up. Um, and then went ha 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 yeah <laughs> so i think everyone i'm sure everyone watching or listening on you know remembers that but rolling stone did like a fan poll of the 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 10 best fish songs and this came out um in in summer 2014 and you enjoy myself was two divided sky was three tweezer was four reba was five harry hood was six seven fluffhead eight lizards nine antelope 10 farmhouse which is which is funny but number one was lushington 
And so two months later, they spell out Lushington in the first set at Dick's and then they don't play the song. So if, if that's not happening, then I guess it's never happening. But that was a, that was a great, I guess, instance of the band kind of fucking with us. But they could have at least played it. They could have encored with it or something. So if they didn't that time, I don't think it's coming back. I feel like, yeah, I, th- I feel like it's a song that is, and there's a couple others in here that is lost to time, but is also one of those, like, the, the bizarre thing, and we'll get to this towards the end, like, fuck your face is played at this show and then doesn't isn't played again until 2010 you know there is a part of them that uh you, you think about um and so to bed from sacramento never once played put on the white tape you know there's a part of them that are digging back into their back catalog just to find gems and maybe it's just that like right soundtrack where or sound check where trey's just like okay we're doing it tonight we have to yeah um i it just it would be great It'd be great. I hope I'm there for it. Um, Cause like you said, I mean, it's a, it's a good song. Like it's got this and you know, I mean, it's I don't, I, all right. I'm not sure if it's a good song, but it's, it's definitely a song that would be fun to hear. Yeah. I think that that's it. It's, it would be these mishmash parts of other fish songs. Um, the chase namely. And then this peak with a chorus that like 150 people in the arena would know. And everyone else would be thrilled that they were there to see it. And everybody on the internet would lose their collective minds and fish would trend for two and a half hours. And nobody would know why outside of the fish corner of the internet, but it'd be a great moment. It'd be, Oh my God, it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I also should say that the, that um, Dick's show that I was just mentioning that show was on the 27th anniversary of the last performance of the song. So a lot of things came together for that. Um, and I don't think anything like that's going to come together again. But, but I think the point is that closed set one of this show um, that night, and 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 it was good. And there was some really nice, nice jamming. Um, the the second set opens. Uh, one thing about listening on re-listen, there's like there's no there's no space or gap. It's just like I kind of like had going. to look back at the set list. <laughs> yeah, it was like suddenly it's like dog log, which is set two, which makes sense, but. Um, Dog log and melt the guns into Dave's energy guide. So this is, I mean, dog log is, you know, just funny, goofy song, but I feel like this is the last time melt the guns was played, which is a cover. Um, and they played it, you know, a few times it, people always want fish to like, not, not people. Some fans want fish to make like political statements or, and say things or, mention things or advocate for things. And this is, this is a perfect one to make because the issue, you know, is I think like, I think most fans would agree like the, the, the message of the song is great. Also it would be an amazing jam. And I think they should, I think they should bring it back because it's a fun song. And I think could lead into like an, almost like an undermined kind of, jam you know it, it's it was really cool to i hadn't heard that song in a long time and um into the dave's energy guide which is just really just awesome um really like that that the beginning of this set well far be it for me to um speak about intentionality and in fish openly but you led me there so i'm just going to go there with you um first yeah the the politicization of it i I'm always on board with it. I'm a pretty political person myself and I'm on board with the the band making some sort of a statement from time to time. I, I think it's a cool thing that they've incorporated. Um, I think it's, yeah, it'd be a, a great statement for them to make. I also think like just from a musical standpoint, you may think I'm crazy to say what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to say it, you know, um, listening to this melt the guns and Dave's energy guide. There's no way the band is foreseen changes that they would go through a decade from now but you can start to hear this foundation being set within the band that where they connect is around rhythmic groove and that this band that is toying with prog rock that is really leaning into um classic rock but is also experimenting with jazz with bluegrass has a lot of humor in it that when they connect around simple grooves something happens to elevate the overall sound of the band at that point in time. And um, 
Dismelt the Guns, like you said, it goes into a very cool jam that almost sounds percussive, rhythmic, the way that Undermine does uh, decades later. Dave's Energy Guide, a famous tease that's been played a handful of times throughout their career. Like This segment is probably my favorite segment of the show overall. It's the one that if you went back to, you can hear Future Fish and you can hear this band that's playing in front of however many people at Nectar's that will figure out a way to connect in these kind of hypnotic grooves that you'll hear at MSG, you'll hear at Dix, you'll hear at Alpine, you'll hear wherever you go and, and think to yourself like, okay, this band, when they get to their most simplest pursuit of, uh, you know, musical connection, like that's, that's the reason why we go back to them on a regular basis and you hear it here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I think that's fair. Um, I, I, I want to comment on this, but I also just want to say our our friend Brian Golenberg, who's watching, he missed seeing them at Nectar's in 87, but did see them in 89, which is really amazing. Um, and I think we should we should talk Brian more about that at some point because I want to hear I want to hear about that. I've been to Nectar's once to see my brother in law's band and once mm. when it was empty to do a tour recently. And uh, I can't imagine seeing fish there. So, Brian, maybe maybe we can talk to you about that in the in the near future brian has been a loyal listener and he has always excellent stories that he posts in the comments so we should absolutely have him on and yeah i i went to nectar's once I, my son was running around on the dance floor while like uh the lizards was playing or something and i was eating gravy fries and i was like this is just all of these dreams of mine from like 16 years old are coming true um but yeah he's right there was one performance in 87 the halloween goddard college 86 and then 927 85 from slade hall a classic hall. old venue uh for fish those are the four melt the guns and then it was teased in a very strange show 7 20 2013 i don't know if you remember this you were covering this summer tour and the first tour of hf pod fish gets rained out the night before 7 19 Mm-hmm. Um, seven twenty, they play an impromptu oh, yeah. reset show, and then seven twenty one, they get rained out again in random times. Um, I believe that there was a simple play during that run just to tie this thread together, but I can't confirm offhand. Let's just say that let's just say there was. Um, there was always a simple. So that yeah, I remember that. I remember that in the three three set show. That was like man, mm-hmm. that must have been a lot of logistical just a lot of logistical challenges. Um, yeah. And is that the, that's the same run where they did the Harpoo at the end? Or at the, they did the, the Harpoo with second city. Yeah. In the, the rain. City. Um, well, I just want to say just back to your, your Dave's energy guide. I think everyone yeah. listening or watching understands what Dave's energy guide is, but you know, if you don't listen to this, if you don't know, listen to this, this show, uh, four twenty nine eighty seven, and and listen to the, the song because it is a song. Um, it's been played. It was played 21 times. The last time it was played was, was Jones beach 95 in the middle of that crazy tweezer. Um, and it hasn't been seen since, but I don't think there's a song that's been teased as much as Dave's energy guide throughout history, because it's still, you know, the most recent one was, was a few nights ago. Yeah, um, during the pipe. It's like once a year, if, if not more than that. And, and I'm actually curious, I would like to ask Trey this at some point, is this like, is it conscious or is it just one? Because Tom has said before, like, there's some licks that are just kind of in his DNA. You know what I mean? That yeah. just like, but I wonder if he's doing it purposely. And if he is, then he must every time just be like kind of laughing to himself because he's been teasing the show, the song since, since 1987. And also like they haven't played it. So it's just interesting for like a tease to stick around for that long. Although maybe, maybe there are others like that, but Certainly, the ratio of played to teased, it, there's, there's nothing <laughs> I don't like think that there's like than it, this, no. right? Which is just kind of amazing. It's one of those things that like fans will obsess about forever. I was at the Chula Vista show last fall, and someone, right as the band walked out on stage, unfurled like a four people across Dave's Energy Guide sign, just like right in front of the band. And right before they jumped into Fluffhead to open it, Trey teases Dave's Energy Guide. And then the following night at the forum, in the middle of a Birds of a Feather jam, teases it again. So, I, yeah, I feel like it's got to be like part DNA, but also like. He's got to know when he's in the register of playing Dave's energy guide and this jam kind of works for it. 
and it's it's such a frenetic piece of music um it's so industrial in a way that like I, I wish fish would have explored a little bit more it's got like robert fripp type of vibe to it it feels like king crimson at times um i don't know it's it's such a it's a when we were looking at the 80s in undermine season one it also coincided with i was listening to a lot of gabriel genesis and i was listening to a lot of king crimson and hearing those two bands in conjunction with trey as like a mid-20s you know guitar player creating music playing shows trying to figure out if this band had legs you just hear so much of that in there and dave's energy guide kind of like wraps it all together this dave's energy guide was originally called memo to frip there it is so that's um you know he, he admired i'm sure he still does admire Trip. They should they should play together. Um oh. <laughs> got a new collaboration on the horizon. Um so after this they they play Take the A Train, the first known fish performance. It's funny because a lot of there's a couple debuts in the show, and then there are a couple yeah. first known performance, right? Because we don't we don't know. And we'll talk about the encore, which is has been hotly debated for years about whether it was a debut or not. But um Haley's Comet, Quinn. ACDC to close out the set. I think that first section that you talked about kind of makes this set um, probably the, 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 or at least my favorite of the, of the three. Yeah. It's interesting how the first half are pretty much all these songs that have just completely disappeared from the fish repertoire. Um, But then you get Haley's Quinn and ACDC bag and both Haley's and Quinn have been busted out at times. Bag has obviously been just like, a war horse for the band throughout the years. You're constantly going to hear it, but like it ends with three songs that we're all pretty familiar with, but they sound not necessarily like a shell of themselves, but definitely like a band that's still figuring out. We've got this goofy song, Haley's Comet. Nobody has any idea that this song is going to become a pretty cool jam vehicle a decade from now. Quinn, the Eskimo is just like, you know, you're playing Dylan, you're playing, you know, just classic Americana and ACDC bag. You're, taking elements of game henge almost a year before they would ever even play game henge in full. Um, obviously Trey's working on it at this point in time, but it's, it's, it's a cool dichotomy of a second set where you're like hearing fish that will never be heard again, more or less. And then hearing fish that like is almost common practice to, to this day. And the show balances that where you get these moments where you're just like, I'm hearing a fish song that is going to be played hundreds of times and I'm hearing it in its infancy versus I'm hearing fish songs that will never actually grow in this sort of manner. Yeah. I want to just, just one comment, which is that ACDC bag, first of all, hasn't been played since um, the fall of last fall. Yeah. And it, and it's only been played a few times since of it's only been played a few times last year and I haven't seen it. I've only seen it once in the past like two years and I'm, I'm really missing it. Um, mm. It's my favorite, my favorite opener. It's a great I choose, opener. I choose it over anything in terms of an opener. And here it's a closer, which I guess at this point in fish, you know, you know, you never know where songs are going to show up. It keeps getting the, I'm just looking at uh, its past performances. It keeps getting the strange mid second set opening slot that every time I hear that, I think of 1997 and how ACDC mm-hmm. bag just was yeah. treated as such a regular jam vehicle during that yeah. tour. Um, always a dream to, to get that, but yeah, it's such a great opener. I yeah. think I've only seen it open like one or two shows though. I usually wow, see really? it in like a mid first set slot. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's going to have to change at some point. Um, yeah. I, I saw the, the first two times I saw it, it opened the first set 10, 28, 95 and, Twelve seven ninety seven, um, which doesn't matter at all to to anyone listening. But I'm glad I said it. Um, I've actually seen it as a set opener a bunch of times, which we should definitely talk about more. Um, okay, so moving on, um, the, something happens between the second and third set. I guess it's getting late, and there, the third set is just a totally different thing. It's it's seems a little bit more experimental, but there's also like some debuts and some just there's a lot of songs um what do you think was happening at the venue that sort of made this this set so much different than the others so when i found out this happened on a wednesday night i instantly went to the wednesday night 
concert series I used to go to weekly in my college town at, at a bar that um, I think probably had a very similar vibe to Nectar's, the, the top hat down in Missoula, Montana. And Wednesday night, there was a incredible drink deal. You'd pay $5 at the door and you could drink for free until one o'clock in the morning. And as you can probably imagine, it would get just rowdy in there on a Wednesday night. It was packed. You could still smoke in there. It was just, it was an amazing place to be for a young guy who's looking to, to, to see music and get out on a Wednesday night. But once the one o'clock drink deal ended, most people would leave and the band would come back on stage for one set. And everyone's pretty shwilly at that point. Like people have been out in the back passing around a joint everyone's pretty well intoxicated at that point in time and that was when jams would come out and that's when weird songs would happen and i kind of get that sense listening to this second or this third set that like they presented a pretty tight version of themselves in set one they've got some great covers that people will know um they've got you know alumni jimmy page alumni there's a reason they've kind of brought that song back that that suite back in recent years because it just rocks um, skin it back cities, Lushington set two. you got a little bit of experimentation, but some really tight songs that like, there's a reason they're going to stick around in fish history because they just, they work as we just talked about set three is kind of an opportunity for them to do things that like, this is a set that you would never see ever again, even though a lot of these songs are pretty familiar to all of us. You wouldn't see Antelope coming out of Makasupa in the middle of a third set, and then four songs later, three songs later, Slave to the Traffic Light into Sparks into McGrupp. It's just constructed in a manner that like we just wouldn't see again. And I love that about it because it really feels like a band that's just playing in a bar and has finally reached like the set of the night where they can kind of just be themselves most clearly. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Thanks for that story. I we had we had places like that in college too, but that's a good that seems like a really good um analogy and probably a good explanation. Um to me the um the peaches into fluffhead kind of summarizes the whole era. Mm. Like there's Trey's playing was clearly honed by like these artists and covers yeah. that he loved, right? And the most advanced kind of playing in the, in a show like this is, is from these like challenging covers. Like he nails peaches, like every single note. And then you go directly into this original complicated composition that has some inspiration from Zappa and a lot of others clearly. And then he just really like slays it, you know? So it's like the student applying the lessons of the master, the teacher, um, and, you know, in Alive Again, the podcast we did, Trey talked about Zappa and how much he loved Zappa and how much he admired him. And I just think this, I don't know if it was intentional in terms of the selection, but to hear the peaches and then hear the original that clear, it's like the lessons were being applied to these these new compositions in a way that worked perfectly. And I just think that two song combo kind of like summarizes the whole era in a way. I didn't really consider it like that. I love that breakdown. And you know, it's interesting to hear Fluffhead in a in a manner where you're gonna where you're hearing all these different versions of Fluffhead scattered throughout the show, like different elements of Fluffhead scattered throughout yeah. the show. But you really hear just like the bones of like what makes this song coming out of Peaches, where he's almost like using Peaches as like a warm-up to be like, Can I play like this? Okay, now I can present to you Fluffhead, because this is how I took these ideas and applied them myself. It's it's a really cool concept. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, I mean, the other jam in here, the, the first time or, or first known fish performance of Timber, which is like a really cool kind of dark jam. Um, the, the darkest Timber ever got for me was Vegas 04, which I know we, we talk about every episode <laughs> because we're going to, we're going to have to talk about it at some point, but, um, not quite that much here, but, um, we're just th- counting down cool to, to the 20th that. anniversary when we have to do a exactly. full reshow deep dive on Vegas. We so do. Far. But the, but the slave into sparks into McGrupp into Curtis Lowe, which was also the, the first fish performance. I mean, what an amazing group of songs here. Um, should we talk about any of the, any of that, or should we just talk about the encore? Because that's another, that's our, our, our final point of discussion here. 
Well, yeah, I just want to dig in just a little bit. Like I, the Macasupa, we, I talked about this last week with a friend of the pod, Ben Greenfield. He joined to, to go through, uh, we celebrated Macasupa on 420, which felt very appropriate. Um, and one thing I discovered in like listening through a lot of those, a lot of Macasupas throughout the years was 1987 was just an amazing year for that song. And most versions in August throughout the summer are just like, 10 minutes long they're stunning they're slow they're beautiful it's some of the best lead guitar i've heard from trey ever especially in like the 1980s this isn't as long but it's a good preview it's a it's a great little macasupa um this is the second ever version of boogie on which will be played a couple of times until 913 88 and then it has a 980 show 89 show gap um slave it's only five minutes but like it gets the emotional uproar and like, I, I wonder what it was like to be in a room like this, listening to them play a song like slave. That's so quiet, so patient it builds up. Um, McGrupp has spoken lyrics, which really sounds like 1980s fish in, uh, you know, the funniest and uh, just kind of, it kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier that like a song like that is played rarely because I think it's probably really difficult to play and like singing those lyrics that are so descriptive and so earnest about the game henge saga um, over just really complex music. But I also found um, the ballad of Curtis Lowe. I didn't pick this up until the last time I heard it. He gets a bunch of cat calls from the audience and it kind of leads me to think that, this song was either sound checked or played in like private in front of people. And people were like encouraging him to sing it. Cause it gives you a sense of like, you know, one of the things that appealed to me early on about fish was not only do you have these jams, not only do you have Trey who just is absolutely incredible on the guitar, not only do you have this humor, but you have this figure like page who plays a baby grand piano, which is not something you typically see in rock music, but also has this just like incredible voice and hearing him sing Curtis Lowe in a bar in the 1980s, like really showcases various elements of how this band is going to not just grow beyond Burlington, but like is going to play arenas one day. I don't know if I have told you this, but I took my brother-in-law to one, one show. Um, I think it was 11, 26, um, the night before the, the amazing show. Um, I mean, that it was good, but, um, in, uh, or 27th, Albany. I guess, cause the 28th yeah. was the Albany, the, the big Albany show. Previous yeah. one was, was the 27th. So, um, he is a man of few words and, and, and generally like, you know, it doesn't say much. And at the end of the show, I asked him what his what his thoughts were about the show. And he said, they should have the piano player should sing more. That was his <laughs> one comment. And I just thought that was like such a concise <laughs> comment. Um, so I mean, they, they did play On Your Way Down, which he, you know, he was a, he was a fan. He knew that song. Um mm. And Paige, Paige sang it. Um, I think that was maybe what, what got him. But um, anyway, that's just a <laughs> anecdote that has nothing to do with your point. But, but, but about Paige, you know. Well, can I say something as an aside that just to keep this anecdote going? Um, I am in the very, 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 very low minority of people who prefers eleven twenty seven oh nine to eleven twenty eight, and we can talk about that at some point. Probably not in this episode because wow. that would. But I they wow. play tomorrow's song out of Piper. And it's just gorgeous. It's the debut of Golden Age. They end the first set with light. It's just, I love that show so much. That is wild. Okay. Well, we can, we, we we can dig into that later. We Yeah, we can. Um, <laughs> all right. So according to according to Fish.net, the encore, Fuck Your Face, it's a, a debut. Not, not first known Fish performance, which is how a lot of the songs are marked. Debut. And in the notes, it says, the Fuck Your Face debut was in dispute for many years. Though the fish.com setlist file seems to confirm that the song was indeed performed on this date. So we've had a long running, a long running debate about the debut of the song, which is, you know, one of the goofiest songs in the whole catalog. And kind of just the fact that there was a long running debate about one of the goofiest songs in the in the whole catalog, <laughs> it just sort of summarizes the whole experience of being a fish fan. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've only seen it once. Have you seen it? I've seen it twice, uh, 8, 14, 2010, which was the second version oh. after the bust out. 
and then 831-2012, which right. the other th- aspect of this song that's so ridiculous is like, that's such a monumental show in the band's history. And you go back to like 1987. And if this song was played on this date, like they're just playing it in a bar and for whatever reason are like, we, okay, we're not going to play that song again. Like that was too ridiculous. And you know, who knows what the rationale was. And then it comes back as a massive bust out. It's played a few times in 2010, 2011, early 2012. But then they set up this gag show where they spell out the letters of the, of the song and utilize it as an opportunity to jam. And it like represents this huge next step in fish 3.0 in a lot of cases, that is another aspect of being a fish fan where like you have this debate around a crazy fish songs debut, but then you also have this song that somehow 25 years later becomes one of the most important songs in the band, like relatively speaking, one of the most important songs in their history. Weird. It's really weird. It's crazy that that, <laughs> that, that, that happened. So, so you've seen it twice. Yeah. Cause you saw the, the show that is known for, mm-hmm. for that, for that song. That's, that's pretty good. That's like a, I mean, given that it's only been played 18 times, you've seen 11% of the performances of, of, of <laughs> Fuck Your Face. And I kind of assume that that's probably the, the highest. Maybe you have others that you've seen more in terms of percentage. I think I've seen Down With Disease at like 30% of the shows I've seen or something. So maybe maybe you've seen yeah. other songs that are higher percentage, but that's pretty good. Do you that'd have an, an affinity for it? That'd be an interesting episode in terms of uh, trying to figure out like, like what are what are our highest percentage yes. songs? Is there any a crossover based on scene shows at certain eras or not? Because I, I down disease I think is my highest, but it's only maybe ten percent of my shows. I don't know. Okay, um, we we need to do yeah. that. I think that'd be a fun fun experiment. Um, utilizing the Zizix site. Um, yeah, I have a bit of an affinity for it. I mean, that's like that's a really important show for me. You know, I think it's, it was, it was like on a personal level. I was, I just got married. I go to Dick's for the first time. It was just me and my wife. And like, you know, now I live out in Colorado and that show, like kind of, it felt like a culmination of this journey I'd been on for 10 years, basically of like getting into fish, seeing some shows, they break up, they come back. I saw some shows. You could tell that like they were still figuring things out. It was the very first time I've ever seen a fish show where I was like, um, I got the feeling that I got listening to like 97 and 95 tapes where I was just like, okay, that that's why like I'd seen probably 30 shows at that point, but I had never really seen like a truly great show. And I walked away from that being like, I completely understand why someone abandons any responsibility in their life and like lives on the road, seeing this band. Like I, I I get it. And I I felt like an urge for it at that point that I I had not felt before. That's fair. That's fair. Um, What a, what an amazing show. That's just like, we've talked about it kind of kickstarted the new era of fish, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so Brian, what were your, what's your takeaway kind of going back to this, this full show from, from 1987? Well, I want to say just one thing really quick. Yeah. This is the fifth ever version of, uh, I am hydrogen. It is the last version that will be played without Mike song, but it is the second to last that will be played without week mm. Um, it is the second of four versions to segue into hoodoo, we do which is another element of fluffhead which ends this the third set that's the jumping segment of fluffhead um i was looking up i was kind of blown away by this who do we do was played as a separate song all the way up until march 10th 1990 and then since then it's been played in fluffhead it's really weird to me that like wow. some of these fluffhead songs were played out still outside even into the 90s my my biggest takeaway is just like I, we talked about at the top, like there's some great, great shows from 87 and 88. And ever since we went back for undermine and looked at these at the, the 1980s, I've kind of come away with this appreciation for specifically 87, 88. It feels like a period where like fish is really starting to figure out their sound. I would say this show, um, uh, Ian's farm, 821 87 the ranch 829 87 
uh, Nectar's, I believe it's 621.88. And then the Colorado shows from August of 88. If you went through and listened to those, like basically in total nine to 10 songs. Oh, and Pete's Fabulous Fish Festival from 723.88. You'd walk away with a really clear understanding of who this band was during these two years, where they were experimenting in ways that would hint at where they would go eight, nine, 10 years from now, but also this like smattering of ideas of, of who the band was, how many different elements of music the band was pulling into their kind of sphere and, and where they were picking in from and where they were, where they were kind of coalescing around like a singular sound that takes from so many different aspects of American history, American musical history. And so that's probably my biggest takeaway. What, what about you? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a good point. I guess for me, it's just really about those songs, you know, hearing hearing these songs that I never listen to anymore because I don't go back to these shows very often and hearing hearing Lushington, hearing She Caught the Katie, um, even hearing Dog Log, Melt the Guns, um, Skin It Back. It, it was just it was so fun. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to I hope we talk about more early shows because this is fun to go go back to and just hear them evolving with these with these songs that have been not forgotten, but definitely left behind in, in some way. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I had a good time. I had a good I had time a great listening time. to it. It was fun listening to. And we are actually, you say you hope that we're going to talk about early or 80s fish more. We're going to actually go further back in fish history in our next episode, which will come out on Monday, May 2nd. We'll be going live again. We're going to be talking about the very first show of Paige McConnell with Fish 5385, a show that is celebrating its 37th anniversary. Is that right? 37. Yeah, Amazing. it has to be because I'm 37. I was born in 85. I'm, I just Amazing. did the math for myself right there. That's crazy. <laughs> Paige has been in Fish just about as long as I've been alive. That is actually kind of crazy. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and Brian, this has been fun. And I, I think we we went through this um, in detail, but we we have to tell people about about our amazing sponsors before we go. So maybe quickly, I'll just tell everyone that Sunset Lake CBD, who Brian Brian is the traveling, not even traveling, he's just a, a salesperson for Sunset Lake CBD. Has a backpack full of their products. Um, they're a majority employee owned hemp farm located just outside of Burlington. I think as everyone knows, they were a dairy farm producing milk for Ben and Jerry's, and then they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. They um, they make some amazing stuff. They also put a lot of care into what they do. They're 100% pesticide free. They implement cover crops and crop rotations, and they're a research farm for University of Vermont agronomists to study hemp and inform best practices in the industry. And I use the tincture I have it here with me. When I left my when I left my home uh, yesterday, because I had to come here to try and try and not infect my family, Sunset Lake CBD tincture is is one of the things that I put in my bag. So I, I never leave home without it. And and you all should check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the code HFPOD for 20% off. So thanks, Sunset Lake. That's sunsetlakecbd.com. Absolutely. And we also want to tell you about Cash or Trade, which is the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans can buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Fans are able to DM each other before, during, and after a transaction. You can also rate and review each other when a transaction is complete. There's no added fees to sell your tickets. All sales are fully protected by Cash or Trade's trader protection policy, which guarantees your money back should there be any issue. Users can avoid purchase fees with a gold membership subscription please visit cashortrade.org to learn more and utilize their services especially with summer tour on the horizon amazing thanks cash or trade and thanks everybody for listening and watching we uh we had a good time and guess what we're going to come back again as brian said and uh we're going to talk to you guys early next week so thanks brian and thanks everybody for listening and watching thanks guys
Osiris. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is the rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.